0: If you are just joining us this morning, visiting with us, uh, we are taking some time on Sunday mornings to think together about the book of Colossians in the Scriptures, believing that this little book of four chapters has amazing and relevant things to share with us today. And so uh, I'm going to let the family of Covenant Church uh, tell you some things that we have learned so far. Family of Covenant Church. So, who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul did. Oh, I love enthusiasm from this side over here. Was that you, Seth? Yeah, yeah you the man. All right. Uh, yes, Paul did. Right. Remember, we're supposed to get excited about that reality. I, the, the the reality is is that this man who uh, uh, we learn in verse one. That has the will of God within his understanding by the gifting of the Holy Spirit, that he is a messenger of Christ, that literally Christ has sent him to the Colossian church and to us with this message, is astounding. But also, this morning, I want us to think about the Apostle Paul and the radical transformation that happened in his life on one foggy day as he was making his... Way to Damascus, and a bright light shone right and blinded him and then, through a visit, the scales came off his eyes, and all of a sudden he saw all of life differently in the sense that Paul was one day persecuting Christians, literally killing Christians and because of this experience and a conversation with Jesus, he is now a messenger to christ 's followers. Uh, with regard to uh, how they should live their lives, because his life was radically changed by Jesus. So I want you to put that in your heads this morning. Who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul did. This amazing guy with an amazing experience who now writes to... Oh, who does he write to? The Colossian church, right? Uh, the Colossian church, who in verse 2 is talked about with one who has faith, uh, who's, who's faithful, who is holy, and is part of the family of God. And that's because they've been such stellar Christians, right? No, they, they've messed up, and they are screwed up just like we are. But the reality is, is that Paul now is writing to them with regard to those things. Um, uh, there's a guy that started the church in, in Colossae. His name was Epaphras and he has become concerned over the messed-upness of the church, right? He's concerned that they're watering down who Jesus is, and they're, they're, they're um, compromising the gospel of Christ by virtue of the things that are being taught even in the church. So he goes on this short little trip of 1,200 miles, um, you know... Got on, US, uh, or got on Delta and uh, flew... No, no, listen. Crossed over lots of time in, in order to get to Rome where Paul was imprisoned so that he could share with Paul what was happening in the church and that Paul might respond. That's who this book is written to. And what is the purpose of Colossians? Thank you. To make much of Jesus. Can you say that all together? Very good. See, if you say it next week, you'll remember it, right? So that's this is why, because there is, big word, syncretism happening in the life of the church. The gospel is being compromised by other beliefs and other thought patterns that that Paul now writes and recognizes this. And and the best way he knows to deal with that syncretism is to make much of Jesus. Paul wants to set straight that, that Jesus doesn't get to be who we want him to be. Right, it was really what was happening in the Colossae church—some mishmash of half truths. But listen, Jesus is who He has said to be, who is God in flesh, and who has come to save sinners. And this morning's text in Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen to twenty-three, underscores this purpose of making much of Jesus. Uh, I'm a preacher, I over-exaggerate. I I would say certainly the best that Paul does in making much of Jesus, but maybe the best place in all of Scripture that makes much of Jesus is in our text this morning. Like, you should be sliding to the edge of your seats. Like, I I can't wait to hear the reality of, of this man telling this church for the purpose of making much of Jesus these words. So, as you slide, slide in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you don't have your Bibles, your pew Bibles this morning, it's page 983. This is the very Word of God. He is the image of the invisible God before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. God, we desperately need your help in understanding this for our lives this morning. May it be. Well, there's a lot in this text. I don't know if you recognize that as we read through it. There's um, several sermon series uh, in the text alone. But uh, as you may have learned, I'm a bit simple. And so uh, I, uh, I want to come at this simply today, right? Uh, there's uh, two words that jumped off the page at me of all of these wonderful words that are on this page that I want us to follow with regard to an outline this morning. Those two words are he and you. He and you. So first I want us to look at the bigness of he. Well, first we need to ask this question, although I think it's relatively known by you Bible scholars this morning. Who is he? You you realize that verses 15 through 23 is not identified. Thirteen times he's referenced as he, him, or himself, but we never find out who he is. So who wants to be the smart one in the crowd this morning to tell us who he is? It's Jesus. That's always a safe answer in church on Sunday morning, and you would be absolutely correct, right? But but I, I, I want to take a moment, right, and, and, and because I, I tell you this from time to time, I, I'm not here just to tell you or share with you what I believe the Bible says, but I'm also here to help you understand how to read the Bible for yourselves. So listen, if an alien landed this morning and uh, providentially walked into the back... Not that there are aliens. If you want to write me an email, I don't believe there are aliens. But if an alien was to land this morning out in the parking lot and walk in the back and he heard this text, he would ask you... Who is he? I mean, some pretty amazing things told about this he, but who is he? And you say, well, that's silly. You know he's Jesus. And he's like, well, how do you know he's Jesus? Well, this takes some grammar, right? Because we have 13 personal pronouns, he, him, and himself, in this text. But we're never told in the text who he is. So I know that some of you may have had uh, middle school English with Aaron Weiss. And so you, you, you know what the answer is here, right? Because he has taught you so well. At least I hope I have the answer right so that he doesn't have to tell me after the service that I have it wrong. But if you have a personal pronoun, uh, smart people of the English language, what do you have to do in order to understand who that person is that's being referred to as he? Aaron? So you got to go back to the antecedent. That's a big word. For me, simply, is moving backwards in the text to discover who the heck is he. Right? So if in this instance you go back from verse 15 to find out who is he, the, the first antecedent, is that right? The first antecedent that we see is, is his beloved son in verse 13. I know you know the answer, but I want you to see how you got the answer. Right? So he in 15 is referring to his beloved son in verse 13. But that doesn't help us. The beloved son of whom? That would help us. So you go back to the beginning of 13 and you see that the father of the beloved son is called he. But if you go back to verse 12, you still with me? You see that giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he, the father, has declared us from the domain of darkness Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. But we still don't have any identification of who this is other than there's a father and a beloved son. Are you still with me? Some of you <laughs> who fell asleep in Aaron's class in middle school, right? So if you're back with me, jump all the way to verse 3, which is where we find out who he is. Are you excited? Seth's excited, I can see. We always thank God, the Father, there it is, of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, the Father, of whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So, who is He? So it's Jesus, right? The beloved Son of the Father. You're going, why are you so excited about that? We already knew that. Well, I want you to see it as you know it. Because... Paul is about to blow our minds with the resume of this he, with the bigness of this he. Are you ready? Listen to what Paul says about Jesus. He starts by saying, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's an amazing statement. But let me give you a hint, I think, with regard to this statement. I think this statement has been taught to the church in Colossae, but it actually has confused the church of Colossae. Because if you study this enough, if you look at this enough, you might even begin to ask yourself some questions. Wait a minute. He, who we know is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God? Well, I thought he was the invisible God. So how, how is image in this and then he's the firstborn of all creation wait a minute i thought he was around like the whole time how can he be firstborn of creation now some of you I'm, i'm just making matters worse for you because you read this and went i love that phrase and now you're like "Ooh, maybe i don't love it as much as i should right it creates maybe a matter of confusion and here's what i believe and not just me but commentators with me right Is that this statement has been taught in the Colossae church, and it should be. It's a great statement when you understand it, but it has created confusion. In fact, some have taken this statement and they've begun to think, well, maybe Jesus wasn't God, and they begin to detract from his deity. And so they begin to listen to other people in other places in Colossae who didn't believe that Jesus was God. And all of a sudden, that begins to work its way in. The firstborn of all creation. Maybe he really was just a man. Maybe he really was just a good teacher. Now, we're only 30 years after this Jesus has left. But this statement, I believe, though it's right and accurate, has created maybe some venues for confusion. And so what does Paul do here? Epaphras travels 1,200 miles and he goes... Paul, I man, I thought this was a brilliant statement that I taught to the church that Jesus is the, uh, is the image of the invisible God and in the firstborn of all creation. Paul going, that's really good, but I can see how that creates some confusion. Let me write a few things down. And here it goes, right? Paul is about to take that statement, which he repeats, and then explains it. Are you ready for this? This is what I meant, says Paul, by him all things were created and then he goes on this little list things in heaven and earth visible and invisible thrones dominions rulers and authorities that about covers it i think it covers it when he started heaven and earth right visible and invisible so the, the reality is this all things actually means all things right <laughs> that's really good uh, so listen all things by him all things were created And then if they didn't get that, he says it this way, all things were created through him. And if they didn't get that, all things were created for him. And then if they really didn't get it, here it is, the kicker, he is before all things. What is Paul doing? He's clarifying. Listen, if you have any question that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus in himself is God, let me put that to rest. If that first statement confuses you, let me clarify it. He was there at Genesis 1 when God said, let there be light. Jesus was intricately involved when He took the land and separated it from the seas. When He put the animals on the earth and when He made man in His image. Jesus. The bigness of Jesus is that He is very God. And then hear this last one in this section. In Him, all things hold together. By Him, all things were created. All things were created through Him. All things were created for Him. He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. So listen, Jesus, even if we would believe that He was there at the beginning, isn't one who just wound up the creation clock and said, hey, let it go. We'll see how this works out. He's not a deist, big word, right? In the reality that that somehow he created it all and let it go. No, listen, Paul makes it very certain that not only was he there when he created it, but he currently holds all things together. Maybe a quick aside. Things rough in life this week. Things create questions in your life. Hear this. Jesus is one who holds all things together. <laughs> he goes on, he says, He is the head of the body, the church. That would have been huge for the people of Colossae. He says, In everything, He is preeminent. Big word that means supreme. And that's not just a pizza, right? The, the, the reality is that it, it, He is supreme, He's ruler over all things. That there's nothing. As he holds it all together. There's nothing that escapes him. That issue in your life, that concern in your life, that lack of trust in your life—it's not God going. Oops, sorry, forgot about you for just a second. No, listen. In all things, He holds it together because in all things He is supreme. He's sovereign. Another big church word that He rules over all things. All things are in His hands. In case they didn't get it, he said, He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead in the reality of His resurrection. In everything He is preeminent in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him, all things are reconciled. Holy cow, people of God. Is this a beautiful description of the bigness of Jesus. The bigness of Jesus. Listen, this is why when he showed up to those demons in Gerasenes, they didn't say, hey Jesus, bring it on. No, they said, Jesus, you see that herd of pigs? Send us over there because we know your power. Right. This is why when, when Jesus takes uh, some fish and loaves and feeds 5,000 people, we shouldn't be like, wow, surprise. Because this is the bigness of Jesus. Listen, this is why when, when Jesus um, says to Mary and Martha, I know that Lazarus has been four days in the grave, but take me to the tomb. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus Does? We should say, yes, this is the bigness of this Jesus. Why can he do that? Why can he be that powerful? Why can he do the things that he does in his life? It's because he is God. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, in which all things were created. It's why when Jesus touched the blind, the deaf, and the lame, they were healed. It is the bigness of this he. When I think of the bigness of Jesus, I am so grateful for Louis Giglio on several occasions. How many of you know and are aware of the ministry of Louis Giglio? If you're not, I would YouTube him, Google him. Um, uh, He's got some great messages on YouTube. Uh, I think I may have even shared this one, this illustration, uh, before with you, but it's my favorite. So assuming that you've already forgotten it, I'm going to share it again. You ready? Ready? Uh, Louis Giglio does uh, a talk on the stars and planets, uh, which is absolutely phenomenal. But in that talk, he compares the Earth in which we live to to a golf ball, right? So he says, this is the golf ball. And, uh, in his Louis Giglio humor, he says, do you see yourself? Right? So, so if this, by scale, is the Earth, then a couple of these dimples are the uh, East Coast, Right? <laughs> And uh, in a little bit from that dimple, we find Pennsylvania, and uh, there's Sharon, and there you are, right? A minuscule speck on the golf ball. But the reason that Louis Giglio says, hey, the earth is a golf ball is because in scale he wants us to understand how big the supporting cast around this earth is, because you do realize that this earth is the only place in which God placed uh, life in such a way that he would speak his image into his life. So it's a pretty substantial golf ball. But the supporting cast is, what he made for this golf ball that we might see his glory is astounding. I'll skip in the process directly to the sun. So here's Louis Giglio's illustration. If the earth is a golf ball, the sun is a sphere that is 15 feet in diameter. So uh, you can see it to scale on the screen. Uh, there's the sun. That little speck which you really can't see is earth. That's how big the place that we live is in compared to the sun. In fact, it's almost a million times larger than the earth, the sun is. Louis Giglio says this, if you were to um, fill the sun with earths, you could put 960,000 Earths in the sun. That's a lot of Earths. So think in terms of golf balls, right? So that's 960,000 golf balls into the sphere that is 15 feet wide. Do you know how many 90, 960,000 golf balls is? It fits, it will fill a school bus. 960,000 golf balls will fill a regular-sized school bus. That's a lot of golf balls. A lot of earths. But you know what? The sun is actually small in the supporting cast of the universe. In fact, the largest star that we're aware of um, is one called Canis Majoris. Literally, big dog. Right? Big dog. And Lee Giglio says, if the earth is a golf ball... <laughs> Guess how many, in scale, guess how large Canis Majoris is? Canis Majoris is as large as Mount Everest, which, by the way, is seven miles above sea level. That's how big the star Canis Majoris is. In fact, if the Earth were a golf ball and you were to fill Canis Majoris, right, the size of Canis Majoris to scale with golf balls, it would take four quadrillion golf balls to fill Canis Majoris. You know how many golf balls that is? That's a lot of golf balls. It would cover the state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. That's how big what we know to be the largest star is. That's the supporting cast that God has put in place. Around us, for his glory. If you think in that terms, and you think about Psalm 33:6, which says, "By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts." Now a little exercise for you. make sure you're not looking directly into someone's face and go, just an exhale. That's what it took for God to make the heavenlies. That's the bigness of God. And ladies and gentlemen, if what Paul says is true in Colossians, which I believe it is, that's the bigness of Jesus. This he that he talks about is just that Paul's point in Colossians 1 here is that Jesus Christ is God and was there at creation. That as John says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And one more just for good measure. Hebrews chapter 1. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the bigness of this he. And trust me, you can have a ton of fun with these verses supporting the deity of Jesus. You can have tons of fun with all kinds of other magnificent theological truths. But this morning, this is what I want us to hear and see. That Jesus Christ is so much more, so much more than anyone in this room has ever made him out to be. Now some of you are deeply spiritual, much more spiritual than I. But I say with great confidence, that none of us have made Jesus as much as He is, as the Son of God, the Creator of all things, and the One who holds all things together. That. That is the bigness of He, and it leads us to the next two words of our text. The kind of chuckle Paul has made much of Jesus. And then he goes and you (laughs) makes much of jesus and the next two words out of his mouth is okay you guys and he looks at stopper and he looks at us and he looks at his church and he says this is the bigness of jesus but you you were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds As we think of the bigness of He, I want you to think of the smallness of you. Do you see you? Some of you certainly see these words, alienated, hostile and mom, doing evil deeds, in a day that you lived B.C., before your relationship with Jesus Christ. But I would challenge, listen, any of us, even those who have been walking with Jesus for a long time, to see ourselves in this description. Listen, I don't know all of you well, still working on that, but I know this about all of you. You are all sinners. Let that sink in. You practice evil deeds in your life. No, I didn't put a camera in your house. I haven't bugged your phone. I know me and I know you. And it's true. Which, by the way, make you an enemy of God and alienated from His glory. So listen, not only are you a minuscule dot on the golf ball, but you're a rotten minuscule dot on the golf ball. (laughs) Catch the immensity of the contrast that Paul is making. The one who breathed the stars into place contrasted with the evil deed dude who can't breathe a day without insulting the one who made him. Now, most of you know there is good news in this text and you're going, Pastor, hurry up past this whole sinner thing so we can get to the Gospel. You, you know the grace of Jesus. You know where this text goes. And, and, and it's all good again. But listen... I have this conviction for myself and for the church that we rarely hang out in the contrast of the bigness of he and the smallness of you to truly appreciate the next point of the sermon. So think about it for a second. The church in Colossae had significantly watered down the person of Jesus just some 30 years after his death and resurrection. They'd mix it in with other beliefs. They'd put Him on the scale of made-up gods and fantasies. Shame on them, right? (laughs) Be careful. When was the last time that you minimized or justified your sin? Listen, some of you did it this morning. The moment that I called you sinners, you're going, well, I'm still not as bad as my neighbor, man. His dog comes over, poops on my grass, he does this, does that, does that. that. I, and not as bad. I, I mean, I see this guy down in the pew, and I know he's worse off than I am, right? Some of you have already been guilty of it today. I called you sinners, and you're going, whoa, 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 whoa wait, I'm not as bad as those guys. Do you know what that does? It minimizes the bigness of Jesus and maximizes the reality of you. <laughs> And you fall in this camp of a rotten little minuscule on the golf ball. When was the last time that you knew you were walking through a situation that caused you not to trust Jesus in your life? The one in whom all things hold together. Listen, when we don't trust Him, I would even go as far to say as when we are hopelessly anxious of our circumstances. We are limiting the power in the person of Jesus. And in that, when was the last time you shook your fist at Jesus and said, it's not fair to the one who by Him all things were created? A place of elevating yourself even over Jesus. Matt Chandler Call some of these things the cul-de-sac of stupidity. (laughs) When we chase after things that don't satisfy us, only to chase them more thinking they will. I get it, because I do it. But sit there for a second... And notice again the contrast between the bigness of He as you're honest with the smallness of you. And then, I'll let you off the hook. See the miracle of us. See the miracle of us. Verse 22. He. That same He again. The bigness of He of 15 to 20. He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you, small, little, rotten, minuscule on the golf ball, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became minister. He has now reconciled you in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. It is He who has equipped you to do all that you can to continue in that faith, to be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Listen, last week we saw in the text that we have been qualified by God, to share in the inheritance of the saints, that we have been delivered by His beloved Son from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of light. And then to hear this today, listen, I don't know how to make it more plain, listen, of how undeserving you are, but how great He is. That Jesus came to bridge the gap of His bigness and our smallness. To create a miracle that would connect us for all eternity. (laughs) That Jesus came to take our sin, to be the sacrifice that cleanses us, but also, listen, to give us the gift of righteousness, to make us holy and blameless. Or back to the description of the church in verse two, that he would make us holy, faithful family. Are we that on our own? No way. Can we muster that through our good works? Not a chance. But does Jesus provide a way for us to be just that? Absolutely. A couple of walkaways for us from this text. First is this. Know this to be true. I don't, always know who walks in the door on a Sunday morning, but if you are here this morning, and man, you've been working really hard to somehow be a better person to deserve God's favor, (laughs) can I just tell you, relax? Because it's not in your good works that will muster up His favor. I'll tell you this, I have really good news for you. The fact that you actually walked in here this morning even if somebody dragged you by the ear, tells you that God in His sovereign wisdom, this Gospel, yeah, that you're a sinner. Yeah, the preacher told me I was a rotten minuscule on a golf ball. But He also said that there's hope. That there is this He. His name is Jesus. Who has come to make all things well. To make me holy and blameless. If you're teetering today in the reality of believing and trusting in Jesus, oh, may, may that overwhelm your soul. Know that it's truth. And listen, if you know that you've been a Christian for a long time, I always go preacher elevation and say 120 years just to cover you all, but for a long time, would you preach that to yourself again this morning to know this truth that in the bigness of who He is, and the smallness of who you are, He has reconciled you, made you holy and blameless. Because it's in that place that we get the second walk away that we worship Him. Listen, our our response today, the response that Paul is, is aiming at is to worship Him. Paul wants to set straight that Jesus doesn't get to be who we want Him to be. But he is who he is said to be God in flesh, who has come to save sinners. And in that, he wants to make us worshipers of him. One final story. Allow my failure in this to be an example this morning as we close. Uh, Grace and Charlie, our granddaughters, have been with us this weekend for a Grammy and Pap vacation. And we need rest. <laughs> For whatever reason, this morning at about 4 a.m., they both awoke. That is, first of all, highly unusual and highly disturbing. <laughs> right? So, Grace is crying because she fell out of bed, and Charlie's interrupted by that, so she's la 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 la. And we're going, oh no, dear God. And so, here, here's my confession I'm laying in bed as Deneen gets up to deal with it. <clears throat> I'm laying in bed going, God, you created Canis Majoris. Certainly you can put these two girls back to sleep. (laughs) Right? Right? And he goes, listen, I'll let you have that thought for just a second because it'll be a really good way to end the sermon this morning in your failure. Because here's what I want you to think of. As you hear those voices as you experience their exhausting energy, would you remember that I gave them to you so that you might really know what adoption is, how I have adopted the bigness of who I am and the smallness of who you are, how I have adopted you into my kingdom and worship me? How often... We respond to God in such a way that we want our will, not His. And yet God lovingly and gently carouses us to a place that says, man, I am so big and you are so small, but in my love, I've connected you to me for forever. That's my friends will make us worshipers the bigness of he the smallness of us of you and the miracle of us let's pray together